I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One of my favorite things is when I walk on stage, I get to see people's uncertainty on their face of what is this guy going to do? Like, it's because they have those expectations. And then within the first 30 seconds of me performing, I see their jaws drop or they're just like, whoa, this dude is dope. That is my favorite thing because I know I've broken that barrier. Whatever stereotype or perception they had about me, concern, it's gone within those first 30 seconds to a minute that I start performing because they either expected me to be nerdy or they were uncomfortable because they have those preconceived notions about terrorism and what that applies to my identity. And all of that is wiped away when I get on stage and start showing them what I can do. I love the opportunity to just surprise people and break those barriers by quite literally just being myself. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Nav. Nav Singh. Nav is an incredible person that I've built a relationship with over the, the last year and a half or so. And it's been very, very interesting watching him show aspects of his culture, aspects of his passions on his social media platform. TikTok is what I'm referring to here. And we dive into just his journey to self, how he found himself and the importance of creating platforms for other people to be themselves. You all know that my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So here's someone who's using his difference to make a difference. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today I have an amazing guest with me. He goes by Nov the Poet or Nov Singh. Now Nov is an interesting fellow. He's a content creator. He's a poet, he's a spoken word artist, and he's uh, somewhat of a TikTok celebrity. And so <laughs> I remember reaching out to him in his DMs and asking him to, to come on the show because I, I liked his content. And what we're going to do today is going to talk about his journey as a performer and how he believes we as a world can break down the barriers that exist. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. I'm really excited to chat. <laughs> no, the pleasure is mine. And I got to say, one of the things that I connected with you on when we first connected was the performer aspect, because I'm a performer as, as a poet and a public speaker. I remember for myself, I started writing in high school because of my depression in boarding school. And I did some research on you. It feels like you can confirm this. Was it a breakup that led to you writing in chemistry class <laughs> in 2011? Yeah. Is that something I shared in videos or is that online somewhere? That's so interesting. I'm a professional podcaster now. But this is what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it was in college in 2011. It was my freshman year. I was dealing with a breakup. Like there were other factors, but that was probably the most prominent thing that just happened in my life that I was dealing with. And I was a mechanical engineering major because in high school, I really enjoyed physics. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I was like, oh, physics engineering, I think I got this. Little did I realize there's way too much math involved for me to do engineering. So, so I was really like bored in this chemistry class and I just started writing. I don't know what pushed me to write or why. Like there was no, oh, I, I should start writing. It was just, I was bored and I started writing. And by the end of the class, I had two to three pages just filled out. And I kind of threw my hands up going, where did this come from? I don't know. I, it was so... Yeah, that was the like moment, I guess, the catalyst for me really like discovering poetry or poetry discovering me, as I like to say it. 
And thank you for sharing. And I bring that up because many people in the audience are usually at their crossroads, at the crosses of the careers. And they come from backgrounds like ours. I'm Nigerian, you're Indian, and even as Indian American and an immigrant, there are expectations placed in us. Engineering is definitely one expectation that seems that it would have been accepted. What journey then was it like for you to say, I wrote these X amount of pages. Now I actually want to be a performer. When I discovered it, it just felt so relieving. It just felt like such a relief. I'm sure you can relate to it. Yeah. That summer, I really uh, ventured into the world of poetry. I watched a lot of Def Jam poetry on YouTube. I started writing more and more. And then I've never really done any public speaking at that point in my life. So for whatever reason, again, like I don't know why I did it, but there was an event taking place, like a, a youth event within my religious community taking place. And I signed up to perform. I don't know why, because I've never been on stage before in that manner. And at that point in my life, I was so mentally at such a bad place and had no self-esteem or self-worth, anything like that. So I I didn't think like, oh, I'm going to go and kill it on stage. Like That was not my mentality. I just said, eh, why not? <laughs> it was that kind of thought process. So I went to this performance. It was in New Jersey in December. It was in front of like 300 plus people, which another thing, I was very shy when I was younger. So being in front of that audience size was intimidating. I did my poem. It's fine. I don't think it's anything amazing. But for a first performance, you know, I didn't totally mess up. <laughs> it went well. The audience was had a good reaction. But all I remember and the, the main takeaway I had was I walked off that stage. And as I'm taking the steps off the stage, I thought to myself, this is what I want to do with my life. It wasn't even a, oh, maybe I could, it was just 100% certainty. This is what I want to do. Did I know maybe specifically poetry? Maybe not, but that was in my head at the time. You know, as it's evolved now, I was like, oh, I can do public speaking or presentations and these things. But like being in front of people and sharing my voice, that was the big takeaway for me. I've watched that performance back because I have video of it. It's whatever, but I can never let go of that feeling of this is what I want to do with my life. That was the exact thought in my head. And so from that point, I just pursued it. I was still in college. So I used that as an opportunity to just hone my craft. So every student organization that had some open mic or performance going on for their one of their events, I signed up. I was ready to perform. I've performed in front of like five people in our dormitory, our, like our the dorm's laundry room. <laughs> so like I've done some of the smallest or weirdest performances and I didn't care because I was like, this is like my workout. I get to just work it out, figure out how I want to perform, what I want to do. And I did that all throughout college to really hone in on like how to be a performer and how I want my style and everything to be. By the way, I think this is so important for the audience to take note of is when you find something that lights your flame, even if you're not quite sure where it's leading you, just take that leap and continue. And you would get in the reps in. You, this is what, over 10 years ago yeah. now. And so you, you, were, you would get in your reps in, in front of laundry rooms and just deciding to do something. And you are a self-described shy person at that moment in your life. But something about finding something that lights your flame is so invigorating that it just gets you doing something. But I find that a lot of people, even if they come across that little light in the flame, they wrestle with the decisions of actually going into that direction because of societal expectations. And I wonder if you have any tip for that type of person who is currently going through that, even though they know they should be doing something else. I don't know if I have any tips. I can just share my thoughts about it, which was, I used to be so concerned with what other people thought about me. And that's also part of what played into where my head was at that time. I retreated into myself because everything I did I was judged for it. And it wasn't just like from other communities about like, you know, it wasn't just the racism and discrimination I faced. It was the way I dressed, the way I talked, the way I walked, the music I listened to, even within my own community. It wasn't common, I guess, for people to listen to rock music within my community. Most people gravitate towards hip hop and rap. And so when I told them like, oh, I love rock music, they're like, why would you like that? And I just couldn't fathom why everything I did seemed to be someone's issue. Poetry really taught me or at least gave me the strength to just not care. I just felt so comfortable with poetry and everything I wrote down made me realize that this is what I want to do or this is who I want to be. And I don't know why I'm stressing over other people because I wake up in my body every day. No one else does. Why am I concerning myself with what they think? 
They don't have to walk in my shoes. They don't have to live my life. They don't have to make the decisions I have to make for how I exist. And yet I'm letting them dictate how I exist. And so once I got that mentality in my head, it was really easy to just not care. I mean, I still would experience judgment or whatever, especially because, as you mentioned earlier, actually, within my community, within the South Asian community, pursuing degrees or fields in medicine, engineering, law, they're pushed on us a lot because those are the most lucrative or some of the most lucrative and people believe stable, whatever reasoning they have. So going from engineering and then I changed my major to film and television. Yeah, I got a lot of pushback from community members, relatives, and, and I still do to this day. People are like, well, why don't you just like take some programming courses? Because I, like, I don't want to do that. Why would I do that? I still get pushback and I did then, but I'm too set in my, my comfort of what I want to do and what I know is right for me. And I always tell people, I had this argument with a friend where they're like, oh, well, you should just do these things as a backup plan. I was like, well, I have no intention to fail because I'm never going to stop pursuing this. Like you don't tell a doctor or someone pursuing medicine to have a backup plan, right? But people in the arts are constantly told because it's looked differently as like, oh, you can't make it. But I think people also have a misunderstanding of making it. It's like, if you're not Ariana Grande or Drake, you haven't made it. But like people are successful without being famous per se in the arts. I've done college shows for the past seven, six, seven years. I make good money with those shows. It's not full-time yet, but once it becomes full-time, I'll be perfectly fine. I may never be famous, but I'm still making money and being able to live a life. And I think that's the biggest thing is when people hear someone's pursuing the arts, they assume it's to be like the biggest star. So that's why they say it's impossible. But it's like, that's not my goal. Well, there are multiple things at play there. There's the comparison is the thief of joy. There's thinking about the end destination instead of the journey itself. And, and with what you're saying, success without being famous, obviously at TikTok, as of right now, you are 319,000.3, 319.3K followers. And I heard the chuckle there because I'm sure you didn't even expect this when you first started. You started right before the pandemic, I believe. The interesting thing about you is, is some of your videos, you started sharing your poetry and then you started sharing your faith, your sick faith. And I wanted to ask you about that. What led you? to share your faith on a social media platform, knowing the potential of what social media could do with that. It's actually interesting. It's because of TikTok that I started sharing it. And what I mean by that is once I understood how the For You page works, and for those who don't know, the For You page is like the main page that delivers content for an individual using the app. And the way it works is it will cater to that person's interests and what they like and follow and engage with. And what I think makes the TikTok algorithm maybe not better, but a bit more interesting than other social media platforms is it'll still serve you content that isn't your typical interest. So even on occasion, I still get dance videos. I tried to remove them all from my For You page, but <laughs> on occasion, they still get delivered to me because I, I, TikTok is like, maybe you'll like it now. You know, it just serves you things that you never know. So once I realized that I was coming across just anybody's page. And it wasn't just people that were interested in hearing my poetry or learning about what I was talking about or discussing what I was talking about. I started to realize, okay, there are a lot of people that are seeing this face, have a lot of questions, probably are uncomfortable asking them because they're afraid of offending me. So why don't I just make them aware that I'm totally cool with questions and I'm happy to answer them and discuss. And so I started making videos, just covering the basics of my faith, which was the plan I thought I'd just do five to 10 videos, man. And then I just, all right, pack it up. We're good. <laughs> and move back to doing poetry. And the first video had a couple thousand views, which was good. Second video where I specifically explained like the significance of our identity. And within two or three days, I want to say it had 60,000 views. And I said, oh, I guess people are interested, which as you mentioned, I did not expect. I thought on TikTok of all places, which was primarily at that time, lip syncing, dancing, who would want to talk about religion? Who would want to hear about religion? And so it blew my mind that people were interested. And it still to this day leaves me just shocked. I've gotten to the point with my audience that I get to go in depth about things. It's not just covering like the basics. I once had someone ask me if I'm afraid of death. And then I got to talk about like death and how sick the philosophy looks at death. And I was like, this is amazing. Cause yeah. like, I, I thought I'd be stuck on just like, 
we keep our hair because of this, or we do like we get to go really deep into philosophical, ethical elements, which I love. It's something I constantly think about. So it's great. For context in the audience, when you were saying because of how I look, Nav's got a trademark turban, a long beard. And, and so sometimes I imagine people will have questions. And in sick, is, is that the practice of Kesh or Kes? Yes. Man, I got to say, I really respect your knowledge, your research and, and information. I think it's great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel like I, you should take everything you do seriously. And for me, I really love uh, sharing stories. The reason I brought that up, though, the Kesh and Kesh is one, I think you're one of your most watched videos is you show, you know, you're putting your hair up and you're showing them how you're doing a turban, but you're also educating people on the screen. And the reason I want to continue highlighting that is people don't think that there's a business in being themselves because of the quote unquote standards and norms that exist. And you've done a great job of not conforming and not, you know, you know, I've seen some of your you know, you said you like rock music, but I've seen some of your raps <laughs> where you, I've seen some of your dad jokes, uh, not that, uh, your corny <laughs> jokes. I want to say corny jokes so I can take the gender out of it and all those things. And I think that is a beautiful, positive aspect of social media that we don't get enough discussion about. And obviously there are a lot of negative aspects of social media, but the positive aspect of social media is that there's an opportunity to express oneself. All segue into this beautiful admission that you made. And as performers, we all know this. You said you crave and love attention. I was listening to one of your shows. I don't even think it's a bad thing, but it's something that you said led you down the path of asking yourself, what am I going to do when I'm not getting attention? How do I deal with that? And I think that's such a deep question. Well, so talk to me about your love for attention because you went from this shy guy all of a sudden to say, no, come on, feed me, <laughs> feed me this thing. <laughs> so... First of all, this is amazing because I've envisioned being interviewed and being asked these types of questions. So I'm like, I'm, I'm loving this, right? <laughs> but the truth is that as I've analyzed it later on, I realized I kind of always was a kid that craved attention. Like I always did things. And even my interest in video I had when I was a young kid, like I would have a bunch of friends stay over at my house. One night we had like a big sleepover and we were all into professional wrestling at the time. I still am. But we were all into it. And so we held wrestling matches between each other. And I filmed them. Like, this was something that I was always into is capturing these, like, stories and these, you know, different you know, narratives being told. So everything I was doing when I was younger, I think unknowingly it would play into where I am today and where I continue to go. But another part of it is I, so I was born with a heart condition. And as a result, my parents were super cautious of me, understandably. And I think that just also kind of fed into me getting attention because like they were always being careful of me and making sure and like even I think my older brother will tell you sometimes they probably were focusing on me more than him because of my condition so I think that kind of started it like it kind of <laughs> makes sense. set up where like I need attention because my parents always gave it to me when I was younger and then you know you become a teenager you get all angsty and like I distance myself and I started to realize like oh I was not getting attention <laughs> but yeah, I think it was just the idea of because I started performing a lot, I started to realize like, oh, I'm really feeding on this energy. And when I've done smaller shows or shows where the audience may not be as enthusiastic or as loud, I still enjoyed it. But I was like, where's the cheer? Where's the loudness? I I used to try to force it out of them. I'd be like, oh, guys, come on, be louder. I was like, you just need to enjoy the audience as is and let them come to you naturally. But it's been something specifically with the last two years in the pandemic that I've had to explore because I was forced to be by myself. I couldn't hang out with friends much and, and this, but then social media plays so much into feeding you attention, especially when your video goes viral. And, viral. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. Like, 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 and then I've actually seen this where for like a couple of weeks, like that video, my notifications will say 99 plus on TikTok every time I open it up. And then after a few weeks, you know, the virality has slowed down and now I'm getting like 10, 20 and I'm like, oh no, what's going on here? You start to feel it. And those are the moments where I have to check myself and be like, hey, dude, this means not as much as I'm putting the weight on it. I'm not saying it has no value for people to comment and like and engage, but there's a max point that you have to and not let it get you like, this is everything. That's where I have to stop myself and be like, hey, these are at the end of the day, strangers that are just liking your stuff and it's not you. 
I don't want to say it's not real, but it's not as real as maybe I'm giving it the value of. Well, I appreciate that level of vulnerability because it is true. A lot of us, you know, we grew up in the, especially millennials and now Gen Zers, you know, you grew up in this attention seeking generation and attention is the new economy. That is, especially you as a content creator, you understand that. And I, I can relate to the 99 plus and then going down. <laughs> but just that level of awareness of it leads you to being grounded, in my opinion. And I think it plays a role in how self-awareness has played a role in your success. So we've talked about the idea of you discovering your love for writing and you then deciding to take the leap into becoming a performer and how that, if you really listen to your life, has always been something that you've wanted. You wanted a way to lead in a way to be the center of attention in a good way, but the center of attention where you're communicating an idea because as, as you, you know, you like to say, you like to investigate in the philosophy of things. And another thing about Nav that you probably don't know is he creates headcanon and backstory for characters that he loves on uh, TikTok. I, I believe he loves Star Wars and he's a comic book nerd like I am. But that is so powerful in just discovery because I think when we were younger, if you said you like to create headcanon and backstory for Wolverine or someone in the DC universe or any other manga, people would have looked at you and said, why are you wasting your time? Yeah. But now that's not the case. You've got a lot of videos where you're just exploring characters and adding your own spin. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's so popular now? A lot of it has to do with just the MCU. I think really the MCU made people more open to nerd media, I guess so we should call it, just like the overall nerd media. If you look at Star Wars, yeah, it got big when the first trilogy happened, but then... The prequel trilogy kind of made people sour on it. <laughs> and then whatever people's thoughts are about the sequel trilogy, it came after the MCU had now built this established like mainstream love. And now all the stories are not all, but so many stories that you're seeing on Netflix and even in movies. I don't know if you've seen everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Oh, my favorite movie this year. Yeah. But I don't think that movie would have been given the love if it was made 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely not. No way. It's phenomenal, but it's because we've accepted these ideas of like the multiverse and other realities and worlds and things like that way more because the MCU made it okay for us to be nerds and be geeks and proudly share that. And like also social media played a role in like actually allowing a community because like you said, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years ago, if you were walking around with an X-Men comic in your hand, most likely another fan who sees it isn't going to come up to you because we're all worried about being judged. We probably wouldn't even carry it in our hands realistically because we'd be too worried about someone harassing us, bullying us for it. Now we're able to find that community. And then with community, what is there to be afraid of when you have others who are also like, no, I love this too. You know, now we have all these comic cons everywhere, people cosplaying on social media constantly. And I don't know, there's not one source, but I do think the MCU Marvel plays a huge role in that just because by phase two, by like Guardians a lot of time, I think people were pretty entrenched in the MCU and the fandom and it had built enough of a, a following mainstream wise. It always had the hardcore fan following, but it built enough of a mainstream following. Maybe you attribute that to RDJ and Chris Pratt and like these other names that people knew from outside of the MCU being in there. But I think that definitely played a role in now people being able to say like, now like Spider-Man No Way Home was the biggest thing of the year, you know, last year. Multiverse of Madness has been talked about nonstop for a year. Like it, it hasn't just been the past two months. People have been talking about Multiverse of Madness in anticipation of it for a year now. And who's going to show up? What can't like, that's the conversation now. It's not even necessarily what is the plot? No one necessarily cares about the plot in a way. It's just like all these other elements of the tra trailer releases are a big deal, man. Like that's, that's just mind-blowing. There's a whole section of TikTok on movie talk. And you straddle all those lines, too. But the reason I, I love that, though, and as someone who has been a lifelong comic fan, I mean, people that know me know that Superman's my favorite. But I've been, uh, I, I love DC and Marvel. And I remember growing up and, and just finding identity in a lot of these people. If you investigate, you, you realize a lot of them were immigrants and they dealt with with uh, persecution in some shape or form. And I think a lot of people who first gravitated towards comics found themselves in some of the characters. And now that it's become more popularized, for those, when we keep saying MCU, that's a Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they just find that, you know, they're either disappointed or satisfied based on the level of representation 
that is being shown. I mean, there are whole TikTok threads of people communicating about why this representation is bad or why this representation is good or this is not the Spider-Man I grew up with or this is not this. And then at least uh, some will call toxic fandoms and some will call fandoms like uh, like like the ones you cultivate where you can have healthy disagreements. And no, for example, you're not particularly fond of uh, Snyder and, and anything that DC has done in the movies. But I don't think the way you communicate that is in a toxic way, right? People know you disagree with that and it's fine. But all that goes to the idea of community. People are either entrenched on one side versus another. And it's leading me to this question I have for you is, we live in a divisive world. <laughs> and your one of your biggest goals in life is to be a bridge builder. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel like we can have these healthy disagreements, but still be building bridges without stripping people off their identities or insulting them. Everything that I do uh, in my life, at least currently, stems from looking at Sikh philosophy as part of my faith, Guru's teachings. One of the biggest things in Sikh philosophy that a Guru's express actually is really focusing internally. And I think too often we are so quick, myself included, to look at how the other person has wronged us, slighted us, or said something. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Something that we deem not of value or incorrect, whatever phrase you want to use. And that could be the case. Obviously, I'm not saying that there's never people saying horrible things. I get it all the time. (laughs) But it's the idea of the only thing we can really control is our response to people. I engage with bigots and ignorant people all the time in my comment sections. I don't know if you're a researcher. No, I've seen that. I mean, it happens to me. I mean, I I run a DEI company, so I'm always talking about social justice. But I've seen seen the way you you interact, though. It's, It's a different approach from many. Yeah. My favorite thing to do, this is one thing if anybody's ever interested in having those conversations, just ask them questions. Because one, they either reveal themselves in the sense of like just how bigoted they are. And you kind of have to at that point decide whether you want to engage any further. Or they reveal that they just have a misunderstanding and you might have the opportunity to say like, hey, the reality of the situation is this, right? So like a lot of times people even be like, hey, you know, one of my most commented things that people will say to me on my videos is I talk about equality in our faith and people go, oh, everyone but women, right? And they're trying to make this comment that like Eastern cultures and, you know, people of that area don't have a sense of equality or belief in equality. and so. I'll just ask them, like, who are you talking about? They're like, oh, you know, your people. And it's like, whose people? Are, like, what people? And they go like, you know, like from the Middle East. And I'm like, okay, so you just don't know. You're missing a lot in this picture. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that's where it ends because, like, I try to engage with them. And I'll say, like, hey, you know, like, first of all, that's not accurate at all. But second of all, I'm also not from the Middle East. So your ignorance is kind of very layered here. <laughs> and from that response, then you gauge and they'll be like, well, either way, like your people, whatever. And they, and I'm like, okay, you know, I can't do anything here. But sometimes people are like, oh, I didn't actually know that. Or like, yeah, but then why does your community do X, Y, Z? And I was like, I mean, we're individuals at the end of the day, right? Like I can't control my people and what they do. I can only express the principles and beliefs that we're supposed to adhere to and work towards making sure that my people adhere to that. But I can't control. I'm one of literally like millions of people. I can't go around mind controlling everybody, telling them to be good, you know, or just not treat people. And so the the conversations I attempt to have with people, and I really, within the first few comments, I give them a bit of grace and compassion and let them, you know, just try to, what's the word I'm looking for, gauge where they are. It's just a matter of, like I said, 
I look at how I can respond. Because sometimes I do just want to be like, wow, you're an idiot or, you know, stop being a bigot. And there are rare occasions where I do respond that way because I can tell straight from the initial comment when they use specific terms, there's no point in making that effort. But 95% of the time, I want to say that I make an effort to show compassion and really allow people to give them a chance to maybe see their lack of understanding and knowledge, especially when it comes to things like my faith and my culture. But even in general, you know, like when people disagree with me on comic stuff and they're just like, well, this movie sucked. And I was like, oh, why do you think so? And then sometimes people list their reasons. I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that reason, but I can see why you feel that way. Or they're just like, well, because this character was lame. I was like, okay, I mean, I don't know what to do. Like, there's not much I can do. <laughs> Whatever, I can't change your mind about a character, you know? It's like you said, I like to have discourse and conversation. Even if, you know, I've had people, mutuals, who I completely disagree with their opinions on movies. And I have opinions that I know people would just absolutely hate on me for. <laughs> and I'm still, like, figuring out how I want to express those opinions online because I just want to avoid all the... <laughs> toxic response to those thoughts. I feel like when people open up any app and they go on the internet, they like become very, even if they are reasonable people in person online, they just lean towards one side or the other. And I do my best to not do that. I'm just like, look, I don't like this movie, but if you like it, great. You mentioned like the Snyderverse and all of that. I just don't talk about it much because it's not my, like it doesn't do anything for me to speak about it because I don't like them. And so if I were to talk about it, I would want to talk about, you know, what I think could be done better, but I know the potential stuff that can come with that. I just avoid it. It's just easier that way. Yeah. And you're bringing up a good point. I mean, nuance is tough to navigate on social media. It's also important to have boundaries. It sounds like you have a healthy set of boundaries for yourself. The point of having people question themselves is something that I talked about a lot in my videos. And I always say this, I say, you know, especially since this is my job, right? <laughs> I'm always working on DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, or belonging and accessibility. One of the things I found is we don't have enough of a culture of critical thinking. And so a lot of people just say things without investigating why they believe that. And so if I ever have time, I preface it that way, if I ever have time, it's always getting someone to say, hey, just tell me why you, why you believe that. Because people say bigger things to me all the time. And then when they start going to the why, you find that there's no reason. It's someone that told them, but they don't know why that person got that from. And then they're like, oh, because I, well, I don't know that that's what I don't know. It just is what it is. And if you get someone to say it just is what it is, you know that you've got them <laughs> in a way because they even start hearing themselves. And, and then it's a little different from how they respond. And you can almost see the deflation if it's in person. And then if it's on social media, you know, someone just goes straight to an insult something that they know they've lost in that. But hopefully my secret hope when that happens over social media is that that person really reflects on themselves. And then like, oh, maybe I really should ask myself more questions. For me, like in a similar interaction, I could get angry and upset at them. But then it gives them an out because they're like, oh, this person, especially if they know my views, like this person's just like a stupid liberal. And I'm like, I'm not, but whatever, like whatever makes you happy, you know, but they'll just label you because then you got upset at them and it gives them an out versus like if I respond calmly and I'm just like asking them questions, asking them, asking them, asking them, making them go deeper and deeper and digging that hole. Also on social media, it's great because everybody else can see that thread. Oh, exactly. Everybody else can see it. <laughs> this is my logic. If you're bold enough to post this online, then I have no problem highlighting it for the world. I don't tell anybody to go after them. But at the same time, if people see that thread, which they will, because I either comment responded or I video responded, that's their business. And you put yourself out there just like I have. Except I put myself out there more than you have because you just made a comment, whereas I made a video. So if, if people are bold enough to put them out there, I'm just happy to highlight them. You know what's so funny? Sometimes I, I one of my th favorite things to do is I always look at creators to do that because uh, I've done that who create a video response to a clearly bigoted response. And then you go click the see the comment and click on the profile. They've deleted the profile or they've deleted the video or anything. And that's the exact thing. It, it, it's such an interesting psychology that many people will call them trolls in this case because, you know, maybe they wanted to incite a response and then they realize that, oh my gosh, Everybody's now coming to me about, what, oh, yeah, tell me more. Oh, yeah, okay, you really feel that way? But the response for them is to shut down. And I'm always thinking, what did you think was going to happen? If you're going after a popular creator and you're saying something that is clearly racist, do you think that no one's going to come to your page or anything? And this is not even to promote weaponizing anything. It's just logic, right? It's the idea of you want to bring down someone else 
and you're attacking an entire community in the process, you don't feel like anyone is going to be affected by that. I have never understood that. And it goes back to also what you were saying. Like, I am totally willing to engage with someone in conversation. And you were talking about you see the reaction in person. I treat my interactions on social media like I'm talking to that person in person. And that's the thing. I'm not afraid to say what I want to say and what I think. I'm also willing to take the criticism that comes with it and treat it like if we were in person. So I don't just cower away from these conversations. And if you, like like I said, if you were bold enough to expose yourself as a racist, as a bigot on social media for way more people than if it was just you and I in person, that's your business. You've put yourself out there. That's exactly, that's a, it's really on them. And <laughs> it's a fascinating process. I definitely agree with you. Getting people to really question what they're thinking, I think is the best way. And I think it, it will often lead to, I'm an optimist, but I'm an angry optimist. And I think it will often lead to people really, hopefully growing in the process. In terms of saying like, you know, you asked me, what do you think can help? And I said, looking inward. And honestly, like those comments though, make me look inward the most because I have to figure out how I want to respond to them, if at all. I have my boundaries. I'm like, okay, this comment is not worth effort, but you've clearly seen some of my videos where I do respond. And that was a really conscious effort of how I responded. And I I script out all my videos, by the way. So everything I do is thought out. But like those in particular, I usually sit on for a couple of days and figure out what is the best way I want to do. Like the one I responded to, someone was like talking about, that's too much grooming for a man, which is the weirdest insult I've ever heard. So then I just made a video talking about the idea of like equality and how like we live in these gendered norms, even though people supposedly are like, oh, I'm a free thinker and I don't adhere to society's things. But then they're like, oh, too much grooming for a man. I was like, so you're not as much of a free thinker as a nonconformist as you want to claim versus like, you know, I follow these beliefs, but they've taught me to be more open to viewing life as this giant bubble as opposed to this rigid rule book bubble might not be the right word but just like just more open and exactly what you're saying there are echo chambers that people have so people exist in that and you know sometimes they don't want to move that you know one of the things i know that people will probably try to do to you you're punjabi the stereotype i've heard from one of your videos is anger and jolly right this idea of being angry or being jolly and so and drunk those are the three emotions oh and drunk yeah and you don't drink he said so don't drink at all yeah so someone is going to try and do that but i think you go against stereotype when people you come across a video and in my opinion i think it's very frustrating for many racists and bigots because they're like this doesn't fit my narrative I thought I was going to get him to do something. Yeah. <laughs> and that to me is one of my favorite things as a black man. I know there's the, I, I put angry on purpose when I say optimist because I've reclaimed that word because I feel like they've almost made it almost impossible to be angry without being bad. And I think there's a lot of benefit with being angry. But a lot of my responses, <laughs> sometimes people are like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I wasn't uh, expecting <laughs> all that. And, you know, I just, I just leave, I don't engage further because I want, like you, I want everybody else to see what they're saying. And so it's fascinating with that. I had someone actually respond through my back and forth conversation. At the end of it, they said, I truthfully expected you to respond differently. And I was like, that's the problem. I know, that's exactly what it is. You expected me to respond a certain way instead of just seeking to understand better. And all it was, it was a poem about America's actual oppressive history. That's all the poem was. It wasn't like I was, you know, and they were just like, why do you hate America was their question, their first comment. And I said, could you point to me in the poem where I said that? Like, show me the line because I know my poem. I never said that. And they're like, well, like you have these issues. And I was like, do you not have issues with the United States? And they're like, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. So we may disagree on what those issues are, but we are on the same page. We want this place to be better. How we go about that, what these issues are, we can disagree for days and I'm fine with that. But to say I'm hating America because I'm critiquing it for its factual history is a little absurd. And they're like, yeah, you're right. You're pretty chill, actually. That was, like, I was like, bro, just take a moment, people. Like, that's my advice. Just take a moment before you comment. There's so much hypocrisy in that because that comment is actually doing the same thing they're criticizing you for. They're criticizing another American. And then they're like, oh, you don't know. Basically, they're saying you don't think everything is perfect in this country. And the fact that you have that freedom of speech to say that 
me as an American, all of a sudden I'm now attacked and I'm like, wait, 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 what? (laughs) I'm sure if someone said something that they didn't agree with, no one would basically think, oh, I'm not American because I disagree with this or, you know, it's so fascinating. Yeah. And the look definitely plays a role too, right? Like my identity plays a role in like them saying that. I'm sure you've probably got it too, though. If you don't like it, leave. Oh, have I? (laughs) I was born here. So I don't know where you want me to go. Yeah. I've literally spent my entire life in the United States. I have a total of maybe six months in India. This is my home. This is where I'm from. I am American. And I know I'm American because other Indians from India have told me I'm not Indian. (laughs) Again, you're bringing up all this identity. A lot of people, and this is my biggest pet peeve, is when people try to take away aspects of your identity that they really can't. I hate the conversations of you're not something enough. Or I'm taking away your something card. You know, some people think I'm too sensitive when I bring up that joke. I just think it's so detrimental to many people. Obviously, many people will probably just eat it and just take it. Oh, I'm not going to respond. But that to me is so dangerous when you start telling people or defining what a nationality is or what a race is to someone and saying, hey, not this enough. Even with your love for rock music, what does that have to do with <laughs> right. being an Indian or any of that, right? <laughs> yeah, this again, people don't ask themselves this question. If you're asking it in the Indian dictionary, I'm guessing, I don't know that there's something <laughs> that's said. One of those is a rock, yeah. That's where the check, or sorry, hip hop, whatever. But I've gotten that too, because like, I grew up not really listening to Punjabi music. And so if you're like, you're not really Punjabi, I was like, I mean... My parents are both Punjabi. I'm like full-blooded, but there's not even an argument there. You're just upset that I happen to have a different taste in music, which is weird. And I guess it's like that one probably stems from their own insecurity or something. I don't know. It's just like, even though I was insecure to other people, maybe I appeared comfortable because I was like, hey, I like rock music. And they're like, Tim, why does he love his his interests so much? He's like proudly saying he likes this stuff. And I was like, (laughs) because I do. It's really that simple. Like, This is kind of tangential, but in college, there was this like big brick wall in our main yard, right? It used to be like a phone booth, which fun little history thing. But so the phone's no longer there, but they just kept the wall for whatever reason. And some days when I had no classes, I'd climb atop it and sit there and people would walk by and they're like, Nev, what are you doing? I was like, I'm sitting, I'm chilling. They're like, why? I was like, oh, because I want to. And I think it just, it baffled them. That like I was willing to be looked at and stared at and questioned and I didn't care. I was just like, look, all of you are sitting in class, miserable. I'm enjoying the view from here and just chilling. I don't see what the issue is. I think people, some people can't handle me being so comfortable in me. When I walk through the streets, like I go for a walk or whatever, I'm like listening to my music and I'm dancing. Same. And I think people are just like, they want to do that but they are so afraid of being commented on, judged or whatever. And the only thing I think of now is that I'm going to come across a video of myself on TikTok of someone who filmed me. <laughs> That's the only thing I think about now. It's like, it's possible. Someone's going to see this me and post it on TikTok. And then suddenly I'm going to come across my FYP. I'm like, what the heck am I doing on my FYP? <laughs> hey, you know, you're popular enough now for that to happen. But I believe that though. People are often triggered by someone's ability to comfortably be themselves. And so they project that insecurity into that because maybe they didn't do it or what they've grown up to accept hasn't been that. And then the ironic thing about that is some people just willingly accept things without really reflecting on that. You, you find that there's so much misogyny, misogyny noir, all these things into what people believe, like where people start policing what women wear while they are wearing something that no one is policing. But they don't think like that because that's not what society has taught them. And then on the other side, someone like me, I love hip hop. I love rap, I love R&B, I played sports. So I fit that in that sort of like, oh yeah, of course you did. You know, I'll get that, of course you did. And then I'm a huge comic book nerd and I can name any romantic comedy or any drama. <laughs> I'm an awkward dancer. I'm like, oh, wait, you don't know how to dance and you're a Nigerian? Oh wait, you love romantic movies? Well, how are you this emotional? Aren't you supposed to be this stoic? And so on one end, someone will say, oh yeah, of course you like sports. You must like basketball. And I'm like, well, tell me, tell me, tell me why. <laughs> Like it, it's, it's so obvious. <laughs> like, oh, well, you're black. Well, what does that have to do with like, isn't that so? We do it on all these spectrums, and it's so fascinating how people can be so quick to accept or dismiss you based on what they've accepted. And something I've noticed too is that when people share their thoughts about me, and I go, you know, whatever, like I am who I am, and then they share their thoughts about themselves, they get super defensive. So, for instance, people come up to me, I love dancing now, I used to not 
care for dancing, but I love dancing now. So I sometimes go to a club, go to a party and I dance a lot. Like I'm just on the dance floor all the time. And that makes people gravitate towards me because they just like see this dude who's having a good, the time of his life. So I've been at these clubs where I'm dancing. People come up to me, they start dancing. We take a break to get like some, you know, well, I go get water and they're like, hey, you know, do you want a beer? And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't drink. And they say, but you're Punjabi. And I was like, yeah, it's just not my thing. You know, as you were mentioning, yeah. but then what's funny is they'll be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like I, I only drink like on occasion. And I, was like, you. I don't care. <laughs> Yo, I've gone on dates. No, I've gone there. I don't drink too, right? So I've never drank, but everybody in my family, and for me, it's no, I don't, it's not a religious reason I ate it. I just decided not to. I think secretly, initially, because I'm a very stubborn person, it was because people used to try and just say, you must do it. And then I said, I'm not going to, why do I have to do it? I just never found reason to do it. But I remember going on a date where someone said, oh, I can't share any moments with you anymore. I feel like I can't trust you because you don't drink. Everybody else drinks. And I thought to myself, whew. I said, I was heavy, but I, I mean, I'm glad that you know <laughs> what you want. And then other moments, people will be explaining to me, right? I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not, I'm like, I, I never said you were. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you are. Should I think you are? <laughs> Let me it. it comes from probably they've experienced it before, but they also assume that people who don't drink are like super judgmental. Judging them, yes. I was before, I'll admit. I used to, when I was younger, I was very judgmental of people, but like now I just, I don't care. And like, the less I can talk about alcohol, the better. So I'd rather not even know, unless you're telling me where it's relevant to a story or something, that's fine. But like, if people are just like, well, you know, I only, I don't care. I don't care how much you drink, how little, I don't want to know, just live your life. And the thing is that I even tell them, like, dude, like, it's fine. I don't judge you. Like, live your life. They don't believe it. Trust me. They don't, they don't, they don't believe it. It's a 20 minute discussion. And almost for me, it's almost a 20 minute discussion. I've even had someone threatened to spike my drink. They said, no, we're too rich. I feel like there's no way you're going to be loose. And I'm always thinking, did you just say what you said out loud? You know, I'm going to be the first one to get you drunk. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You want to root? <laughs> I'll say to people, I'm like, look, as long as you don't try to get me a drink, I'm totally fine. Like, we're good. We'll chill. You know, the only time it becomes a problem is if you're causing issues, right? That's like my only concern. It's like, if you get out of hand. Or if you drive. Then we have a situation. If either you are acting up in a way because you're too intoxicated or you're going to try to drive. Those are the only times I'm ever going to say anything. And it's more of just like, we need to take a break. I'm not going to be like, wow, you're a horrible person. It's just like, no, not at all. It's for your own safety. But like, other than that, yeah, be yourself, right? You know, there's no reason for that. I'm sure there are things I do that you disagree with. And as long as you can accept that that's how I live my life, you know, we're good. Like, that's all I'm telling you to do. But people, you're right. They won't accept it and they'll like sometimes even like you move on from the conversation but then they'll like bring it up again like, dude i don't need to hear this let's just have a good time let's just dance whatever no they'll introduce you for me they'll say hey this is my friend tyler he, he doesn't drink by the way oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wait, what does that have to do with this new person we just met yeah. <laughs> you're like oh yeah he doesn't drink he believed because i was associate chair in my mba okay. and it was this fascination i went to fordham everyone's like this guy's planning events but he doesn't drink. How is he planning events? How are you going to put a bar? I'm like, I don't care if anybody drinks. I have nothing against alcohol. But it was it was so fascinating. All right. Right. I don't, <laughs> we, can, we can talk for long, but I want to respect the time. So where can people find you? Social media, mostly Instagram and TikTok at Nav the Poet, N-A-V the Poet, no spaces or underscores. Those are my two main platforms. I have Twitter. So if you want to follow me there, you can, I don't use Twitter. That's, <laughs> Not my place to express myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then the final question I always ask my guests is my mission statement reframed as a question. My mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So Nav, how do you use your difference to make a difference? One of my favorite things is when I walk on stage, I get to see people's uncertainty on their face of what is this guy going to do? Like, and it's because they have those expectations. And then within the first 30 seconds of me performing, I see their jaws drop or they're just like, whoa, this dude is dope. That is my favorite thing because I know I've broken that barrier. Whatever stereotype or perception they had about me, concern, it's gone within those first 30 seconds to a minute that I start performing because they either expected me to be nerdy or they were uncomfortable because they have those preconceived notions about terrorism and what that applies to my identity. And all of that is wiped away when I get on stage and start showing them what I can do. I love the opportunity to just surprise people and break those barriers by quite literally just being myself. I share my art. I share my stories. You know, much like you said, I have a variety of interests. You know, I 
some of my favorite artists, like musical artists, you probably never think those were my favorite musical artists. And my movie interests, you know, vary and everything. And so when I get to talk to people and show them that, yes, I am a Sikh, I am of Punjabi descent, I am also an American, but then I get to show them I love movies, I love comics, I love rock music. When I get to show them everything and they get to see like, oh, you are not the stereotype that we or the box we placed you in. It really opens up so much discussion. And I have strangers come up to me after I share my poetry and after I talk, opening up with their some of their most vulnerable stories just because I was willing to be open with them. And I think that is the most beautiful thing about what I do. I actually just had a performance in D.C. last week, and I shared this poem about my father and his journey coming to the U.S. and everything like that and what it means to me. And I had people come up to me and say like, oh, yeah, my uncle went through a similar story or I've been through just like everything. They were like, everything you said, I've done that. I had to work six days a week, 20 hours a week or or, a day. I mean, and they have no obligation to share this with me. These are things that you probably wouldn't share with a stranger regularly or, you know, typically if you just met them. But because I get the opportunity to be on stage in front of people and tell my story in such a unique way, it really makes people more comfortable telling me theirs. I think the more we share our stories with each other, the easier it is to build those bridges. That's what I aim to do. And that's how I feel like I make that difference. I love it. I love it, Nav. Thank you so much. This has been a a true delight. I can definitely see how that invites more conversation. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I got to say again, your questions were just awesome. And the depth of your research, I just really appreciate (laughs) because as I said, I've envisioned answering some of these questions. And so I'm glad they came to fruition. Hey, I'm glad I could play a role in in that part of your dream. Fulfilling my attention seeking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hey, there you go. But this is only the beginning. And there you have it. Kings, Queens, and Royalty. We've just been listening to future screenwriter. Nav. Nav the poet. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Until next week, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.